You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Our guest today is Dr. Philip Shaw Paladin, who holds the Naomi B. Lynn Distinguished Chair of Lincoln Studies at the University of Illinois at Springfield. He's taught at the University of Kansas and Rutgers and has won both the Baron Des Lincoln Award and the Lincoln Prize. Dr. Paladin has written widely on Civil War subjects, from Lincoln in the White House to atrocities in the remote Appalachians of western North Carolina. Join us for a conversation with Dr. Philip Shaw Paladin on Civil War Talk Radio. Writers Wanted, at the 6th Annual La Jolla Writers Conference, October 20-22, through 22, 2006, where New York Times best-selling authors, editors, agents, publicists, screenwriters, and poets will help you find your voice and perfect your craft. Get feedback on your work from New York Times bestsellers James Gripondo, Linda Leo Miller, Steve Berry, Margaret Weiss, Catherine Ryan Hyde, and a host of other outstanding authors. Participate in read and critique classes with renowned literary agents and editors and know that you can later submit to them on a first-name basis. Hone your screenwriting skills with Alan Russell and Warren Lewis, the writer of Black Rain, The 13th Warrior, and other movies, and find out what it takes to get your small press book on the shelves of Barnes & Noble with Marcella Smith of their New York office and Jan Nathanson of PMA. Whether you write fiction or nonfiction, whether you're looking to jumpstart your writing career or simply hone your craft, join the unique writing community of the La Jolla Writers Conference October 20th through 22nd. For more information, check us out at LaJollaWritersConference.com or call 858-467-1978. The La Jolla Writers Conference, turning writers into authors and authors into bestsellers. Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, on a glorious autumn day in 2007. No, it's 2006. Uh, these shows many people listen to uh, after they've been recorded, not live, so it sometimes helps to let you know what year this was recorded, but it would help more if I knew what year it actually was. 2006 is where we are. And although I am speaking to you on a telephone owned by the taxpayers of North Carolina, the show is not uh, the uh, production of the university, and they are not responsible for anything that might be said here. That's something I ought to remind everyone each week uh, for legal purposes. Also a reminder each week, at least a welcome one from my point of view, is that donations to the show are always welcome to help purchase books and otherwise uh, keep things running here. Before getting to our guest today, I wanted to make a quick correction from last week's show. Uh, David Lee Parembo was the guest. We had a very interesting talk about his collection of letters of Michigan soldiers from the Civil War that he edited and published, 
And while we were chatting about other things, he mentioned that John Pemberton was the inventor of Coca-Cola. And I was struck by that because it seemed such an interesting piece of trivia as the idea that the unsuccessful defender of Vicksburg would also be the inventor of the uh, cultural imperialist's most potent weapon, the uh, the soft drink Coca-Cola. That seemed to me something people would already know. And it turns out that, in fact, it's not quite true. Uh, a listener from uh, John from Franklin, Mass., sent an email pointing out that the inventor of Coca-Cola was, in fact, John S. Pemberton, a Confederate veteran, to be sure, uh, served in the 3rd Georgia Cavalry, but uh, not the same John C. Pemberton who led the Confederate defense of Vicksburg. So the inventor of Coca-Cola is not famous for a military debacle in the war. There is a connection between uh, the Confederate forces and Coca-Cola, but uh, not quite the famous one that that uh, we thought. And I, I wanted to be sure that I passed that on. Now, if that's wrong, too, I hope another listener will uh, call or write and let me know. But a, a bit of quick Internet research does seem to indicate that John Pemberton, who invented Coke, is not the John Pemberton of Vicksburg. One more announcement before we start, finally, is that the archives have been uh, sadly truncated over the past week. The old shows have temporarily disappeared. I am assured by the overlords of, of uh, World Talk Radio that they will be returned shortly and that all the old shows will be available again. I hope so, because I assign some of them to my students occasionally, and I would hate to give them yet another excuse not to do the work I've asked them to do. So hopefully all the archived shows will be back by the time you're listening to this. Uh, I, I do hope they'll all be there, and, and I will continue to uh, follow up on that and make sure that gets done. Certainly, uh, we've, we've had some very interesting people on the show. I have enjoyed talking to them, and I do hope that they, their voices are all brought back to us. Well, moving from the past to the present, our guest today is... Uh, Philip Paladin of the University of Illinois at Springfield. Phil, are you with us today? I am, yes. Ah, wonderful. Uh, it's good to hear from you. Uh, you and I were just uh, together a couple weeks ago. Up Not so long ago, right. Uh, Galesburg, Illinois. Right. So uh, how uh, you're in, in Springfield now. How are things in the, the land of Lincoln these days? Um, things seem to be doing pretty well. The uh, Lincoln Library and Museum expects its millionth visitor uh, pretty soon. Um, my classes are going well. Uh, the, uh, the weather is going to be changing here pretty soon, but uh, other than that, everything looks pretty good. Now that museum uh, is really something to, to draw a million visitors in its first year, year and a half or so. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I assume you've been to the museum. Oh, several times. Whenever guests come into town, that's the place that we're obligated to take them. Well, the, let me ask your opinion of it. Uh, I, I'm sure you know... Uh, John Y. Simon and his views of of the museum. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, not I, I, positive, as I recall. Not not too positive. Uh, he did a show before the museum opened uh, on the, the show, and I believe uh, I just asked him one question: "What do you think of the museum?" And I was able to put the phone down and go make a sandwich <laughs> while he went on a fifteen minute tirade uh, uh, against the museum. But a very intelligent and entertaining one. I have to say, it's one of my favorite segments to listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what are what are your thoughts about the place? Well, I think it's uh, it's serving the the purpose of reaffirming what people know and believe about Abraham Lincoln, 
And that's something that the museum, I think, has to do. It has to live up to the expectations that people are going to see something that they're familiar with. And it does a nice job of that, and it sort of opens the door uh, into some areas that people might not be as familiar with, the, uh, the, the scene of the sale of the slave, the breaking up of the slave family, I think, is very effective for that reason. Um, it has a, a, a excellent show of a, a map of the Civil War in four or five minutes that uh, really gives you a sense of the changing boundaries and the changing possibilities of what uh, could be done, uh, what was being done at the time. Um, I guess if I had any uh, major complaint about it, it would be the fact that they, the museum tends to overlook the fact that Abraham Lincoln was a lawyer more than he was anything else in his entire life. And the only uh, concession that the museum makes to that is a, a, a tableau of the, the president reading a newspaper while his two sons throw inkwells at each other. Uh, now, I'm sure that happened uh, sometime during the time of his legal career, but uh, to take something that was at the core of the man and uh, trivialize it uh, like that, I, I, I wish they had done something a little bit better to respect uh, what it meant to be a lawyer in those days and the, the effectiveness with which uh, Lincoln uh, practiced law. That uh, d- just stepping back, you're, I, I would agree that the display of the Civil War in four minutes is, is, might be the best thing in the whole place uh, in terms of, of exhibitry. It really is something anyone listening to the show w- would enjoy seeing. Is it uh, an animated map that, that shows the changing battle lines and the casualty counts as the right. war goes on? But about Lincoln as a lawyer, do, do you see that as, as central to his presidency, his, his legal training? I think... Um the legal training uh, was um, a picture of who the man was. Uh, from the first major speech that we uh, we have, that Lincoln, his Lyceum speech, uh, he is, it's a call for law and order in a society in which the, uh, the people who had founded the country were gone. And what were we to rely on for guidance, uh, if, if not the Constitution and the rule of law? And uh, even before that, uh, as a young man, Lincoln had experienced the, uh, one of his uh, dearest friends, a man named Matthew Gentry, uh, went insane. Uh, presumably, well, he was standing around or talking with Lincoln, and Lincoln never forgot that. Uh, Twenty-one years later, he writes this long poem, which begins uh, about what it's like to be back in, in his old home area, and halfway through, it switches to uh, a discussion of Matthew Gentry's insanity. And there's more on Matthew Gentry's insanity than there is on the uh, visit back to the old home folks. Um, so this, this is a man who's very concerned about order and very respectful of the rule of law. And uh, respectful even during the Civil War, although he's been uh, accused of being a dictator. Uh, but I, I think he was, he was guided by his oath which he did the oath to respect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And uh, Bill Miller points out how, how seriously Lincoln took that, uh, took that oath, and I'm inclined to agree with him that uh, Lincoln, the constitutionalist, is a pretty important figure, and that, that arises right out of his legal training, legal experience. Now, a lot of scholars have argued that Lincoln goes back beyond the Constitution to the Declaration of Independence as the for the source of his, his ideology, 
that especially after the Dred Scott decision, he, he finds the Constitution is inadequate to uh, to his vision of, of the country. Right. And that doesn't, that doesn't sound particularly lawyerly to me, to, to just say, well, the laws don't work, so I'll go back to this sort of general statement of principles. Yeah, well, I don't think it sounds very lawyerly either, uh, and I don't think that the, the picture of Lincoln uh, falling back on the Declaration of Independence is, a, is an adequate uh, picture of what he does. Um, and in the, in the first place, uh, he doesn't find the Dred Scott uh, opinion to be a proper interpretation of the Constitution. It's not that he sees uh, that the that Tawney and company have grabbed the Constitution, and so he has to look someplace else. He spends an awful lot of his time in the, in the late 50s beating up on the Dred Scott decision and uh, saying that that's not simply not good constitutional law, that uh, he might have to obey it in, in, on the fact situation of the Dred Scott himself. But uh, overall, this is Dred Scott. It's not a proper interpretation of the Constitution. It's not what the Constitution really means. Um, I, he certainly does talk uh, a lot about the Declaration of Independence, and uh, he said he's never had a thought that didn't arise from the Declaration of Independence. But uh, as a lawyer, um, as a constitutionalist, I think Lincoln's very concerned in the framework with which you enact the Declaration of Independence's ideals. And I see him uh, not having an either-or uh, attitude toward the Constitution and the Declaration, but a both hand. And uh, the Constitution uh, may be a little bit ahead in terms of the, the day-to-day workings and the operation of the presidency. Um, when it wouldn't be enough to simply recite that all men are created equal. The Constitution gave him guidelines in how he was supposed to carry out the duties and how he was supposed to bring about the, uh, the ideals of the Declaration. So I don't see Lincoln abandoning the, the Constitution very much at all. Uh, I think he sort of brings the, the Constitution and the Declaration uh, together. Uh, he has that famous image of the picture of silver around the apple of gold, but he insists that the picture of silver, the Constitution, is what adorns and I think magnifies the the Declaration. Uh, so this is a this is not a, the Gary Wills kind of uh, president who's or he or pre-president who has to fall back on some ideals. Uh, he's already got his ideals pretty much in place, and those are the Declaration and the Constitution. One is equally equally as important as the other. Now, Lincoln's critics will often argue that that he had that that he stretched the Constitution, even broke it. Mm-hmm. In some of the things he did as president, one of Lincoln's friends has recently made that argument in uh, an article in, in North and South magazine, uh, which you may or may not have seen yet. Uh, David Long, uh, my colleague here at East Carolina, mm-hmm. has argued that Lincoln was responsible for the uh, the Dahlgren raid, not only for the concept of the raid, but but for the intention to to assassinate Jefferson Davis hmm. as part of the raid. Uh, have you seen that article by any chance? I have not seen the article, so I don't know the, how much uh, I ought to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm curi- curious. Uh, it, it's probably not fair to engage in discussion of that if you haven't seen it. Uh, right. But it does strike me. Uh, David and I have, have argued it in the hallways here, and, and oh, I good. don't. 
don't think it, that uh, it seems to me that, that Lincoln was willing to work the Constitution to perhaps to its limits to uh, uh, expand it, or as he pointed out, to he was not going to enforce one law uh, and let all the others be broken. Mm-hmm. But well, as far as assassinating Davis, that seems a bit extreme. Yeah, I, th- I think David sounds a, a little bit extreme. Uh, I, and maybe we can talk a little, a little bit longer about this whole uh, question of stretching the the Constitution and uh, the extent to which he's trying to save it uh, rather than rather than break it. I, I think that that's an excellent idea. I hear the music suggesting we're going to take a short break, right. and we'll come back and talk more about Lincoln and the Constitution okay. with our guests. Philip Shaw Paladin of the University of Illinois at Springfield. We'll be back in a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 